Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. And our topic is Abraham's intercession. Last time we talked about Abraham's righteousness. And you don't have to have seen that episode to get something out of this one. But Abraham's intercession is this interesting story in Genesis in which it appears that Abraham is having some conversation with God and bargaining about whether a very wicked place is going to get destroyed or not. And he kind of talks the Lord down. It's this weird little thing. And to some people, it's known as Abraham's intercession. He kind of talks him down. So we'll look at that story and we'll think about what exactly that means. That's our topic for tonight. So I'd love to have you join us on that journey. And let's open with a prayer, shall we, friends? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven and earth. We thank you, Lord God, for bringing us together in your name. You are the word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us as we open the pages of your word. Inspire us, Lord, inspire our hearts and our minds with the message that you would have us here. Amen. Amen. Sending love to those of you who are out there online and getting the audio and in Canada and here in the room. Such a blessing to be with you. I don't take it for granted. It's a nice uh, thing. And so um, it's very interesting in Genesis when this story of Abraham's intercession comes up uh, because it's right, right next to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which are these terribly wicked, evil places. And so uh, Swedenborg says that this is all about the Lord's mercy. So this is what, what we're going to be looking at tonight. First of all, I want to start in Genesis all the way at the beginning of your Bible, chapter 13. And let's have a look at, does it seem meaningful that it's Genesis 13, 13? Uh, that's where it gets uh, uh, one, one mention here where it tells you what the nature of Sodom is. Look at verse 13 there. As, oh, sorry, new glasses. Hold Are you in 13, 13? I am, Good. Genesis 13, 13, Good. but I read the long, wrong word. Okay. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay, exceedingly wicked and sinful. So that's what you need to know about, about Sodom. Swedenborg says that Sodom uh, corresponds to evil, evil of all different kinds, and Gomorrah corresponds to falsity. So it's, it's just really basic, you know, evil and falsity, which Swedenborg talks about all the time. And that's what Sodom and Gomorrah mean. So uh, turn to Genesis 18, where Abram has these visitors. And after they have this nice visit and they talk about the fact that Abram and Sarah are going to have a child, uh, then look at verse 16 in Genesis 18, because these visitors, who are sometimes identified as the Lord, it goes back and forth between singular and plural, what happens in verse 16 there? Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. Okay, so where they're headed to is they're headed to Sodom, this place of all this, this wickedness. And boy, this wickedness seemed to arise pretty early. You know, we're only in Genesis 18. Like it came up pretty quickly in the Old Testament that you have this wickedness there. And look down in verse 20. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, 
I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So this is interesting. The appearance in the text is that the Lord is going to go check out whether the rumors he's been hearing are true or not. You know, how bad is it and all that. And go on. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Yes, Abraham still stood before the Lord. And now here's the story itself, these next 11 verses. Go ahead. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Because, you know, when you get to chapter 19, Sodom is destroyed, and Gomorrah, and Adma, and Zeboim, and everything in the whole valley except for this little town called Zoar. And um, so, obviously, the idea of destroying Sodom is on the menu somewhere. And so the Lord, uh, so Abram wants to ask God something about this. Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? What a basic question. Like how, how good or bad do you have to be? You know, again, we're in the topic of salvation here. And how, how, how bad can you be and still get saved? Or how, how good could you be and still be condemned? Or so, You know, like it's a really pretty basic question. Go on. Mm, suppose there were 24. 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Yes, and I want to point out a particular word that might not have leapt out at you from that verse, but it is the word within. Uh, Swedenborg renders this in the midst of. These are not people who are living on the outskirts or whatever. These are the people at the center it's very important for understanding what we're talking about here. That these 50, what if there are 50 righteous in the midst of the city, you know, within the city, they're right in the heart of it. Uh, would you destroy it and not spare it for 50 righteous who are therein? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked. Now, what an interesting thing for Abraham to say to God that it just wouldn't be like you, would it? You know, it's an interesting thing, interesting kind of argument for him to make, is it just wouldn't be characteristic of you to do that. Go on. So that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Yeah, that's right. So wouldn't that just make like the whole righteous, wicked thing meaningless if the righteous just get destroyed as if they were part of the wickedness or something? Go on. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yeah. So he's bringing some compelling arguments. So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city. Within it. That's right. Then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Wow. Okay. So he'll spare the whole. I, I don't know how big a city it was at that time, but it was more than 50 people. You know, uh, it was a whole city and everything. And and um, But if there are 50 people within it, at the center of it, I'll spare it for their sakes. Okay, and then it goes on. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Yes, so he's taking a humble approach. It's a good, you know, you're in a court of law or something, you know, he, he wants to, or in some negotiation, you're an ambassador or something like that. You've got to be humble, 
but say, okay, look, uh, I, you know, with apologies, I just need to say one more thing. Go on. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? Hmm. So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. Yes. Okay. So you don't find any pushback from the Lord. Like the Lord is not saying, you're kidding. Have you seen Sodom? You know, it's gone. You know, <laughs> no, he, he, it doesn't even seem like Abraham's really twisting his arm. He's already on board. Like, no, I'm not going to destroy it for 45. Go on. And he spoke to him yet again and, and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. Okay, now we're going down by fives. Boom, 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 50, 45, 40, okay. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Okay, yeah, and it does, there isn't as much detail in there. It just says, what about 40? Okay, 40. The bargaining goes on. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. Oh, now he's jumping in tens. So he's, he was going down in fives, but now, oh, it's suddenly a dropped from 40 to 30. What about 30? So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Okay. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. <laughs> Suppose 20 should be found there. He, Abraham seems a little nervous about the conversation. But he said, you know, just don't, don't destroy me. But I just want to ask, what, what, if, uh, what if there are 20? So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. So it seems very consistent, doesn't it? And then one more. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. But once more, suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Now, you might think the conversation would go on 9, 8, 7, 6, or 5, or, something, or get down to 1, or something like that. But what happens in the next verse? So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Huh. So they sort of went back to their respective corners, and that was the end of the conversation. Now, so this is... Isn't it sort of typical, in a way, biblical weirdness? You know, like these particular numbers, these six numbers, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. Uh, wouldn't you think it would go down? You know, isn't every life valuable? Wouldn't it go down below? T if you got that far, why quit when you hit 10? why not say five or why not say what even if there's just one but you never find out if there are nine people would it you know wouldn't a wouldn't a nickel and dimer you know be, be trying to figure this thing out a little more and, and find out how low can we go here but they stop at 10 so it's kind of strange and it's also a little strange that ordinarily you would think if you were bargaining wouldn't you go like 50, 40, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 7, you know, when you like get closer as you go down, not f farther apart. It's, it, it's just one of these things that's sort of odd about Scripture. And then that's it. And then in, in chapter 19, you go into the sto whole story of Lot and, and, uh, and Sodom and all that. And Sodom ends up getting... Um, destroyed, uh, the smoke of it rises up, and so on, after Lot and all his family are taken out of the uh, city. <clears throat> so, what is this talking about, Abraham's intercession? It looks like, I don't know, as if the place was scheduled for destruction, but Abraham was able to talk God 
out of it. You never see God kind of changing his mind or whatever. It just every time he said whatever Abraham asked for, he just gives it to him. Yep, 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 you know, all, all the way down the line. But what does this mean? Well, this is when I, you know, just love uh, being aware of Swedenborg's teachings because to me, the way he explains this is so nuanced and, and amazing. There are many layers to it and many things that I don't understand, but, but uh, it's kind of astonishing what he says about this. Um, okay, uh, let's talk about these uh, numbers. So they're within, and it never takes away the within. It says within at the beginning, right? The 50 righteous within... And then what if there's less than 50? Okay, there's 45. The way I picture it for the internal meaning, they're always in the center. If you had 50 or 45 or 40 or 30 or 20 or 10 in the heart of the city, what would those things mean? I have an unhelpful graphic for you, good friends. Um, That's just a messy picture for those of you who are just getting the audio. of um, uh, It's sort of a bullseye. It's got the... 50 in a circle, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10 in the center, and then all this madness around it. So uh, these are the numbers of people at the center of this place, and then there's all this crazy evil and wickedness all around it. Now, what's going on here is what Swedenborg refers to as a judgment. And the judgment has everything to do with righteousness and wickedness. That's clear, isn't it? It's very clear in the literal meaning of it, that, that it has to do with righteousness and wickedness, and how much righteousness do you need? Uh, okay, several things I love about Swedenborg's thing that I don't think if I didn't, wasn't aware of it, I would ever come to this on my own. Number one, he says that uh, Abraham and God are really two parts of God. This is not, you know, so you might think, oh, this is Abraham and he's Jesus and he's arguing with God the Father about saving people and God the Father doesn't really want to save people, but Jesus wants to save people and Jesus talks God the Father into saving people. But Swedenborg said, no, it doesn't work that way, you know. Uh, This is actually that Abraham represents uh, the human part that part that was born sort of half human, half divine in the Lord, it's that human part. And in these stories in early Genesis, it's actually the Lord when he was quite young. I think he was probably a teenager or something, but this is a very early conversation. And the appearance, the consciousness in Jesus was that God was separate. You see that even later in the Gospels where he's praying to the Father as somebody other than himself. You know, even though divinity is indivisible, you can't have two of them. Uh, so that's a complicated part of the story, the idea that actually it's the Lord. Now, uh, another complicated piece, and then I'll stop being complicated, I promise, uh, is that, that out the Jesus, the human part, uh, corresponds to truth, and the Father corresponds to love. And that's confusing in this story because you think, wouldn't love be arguing with truth? Wouldn't truth be saying, we're going to destroy the city? And wouldn't love be saying, no, no, no. What, what if there are just 
you know, 30 or 20 or 10 or something like that. Wouldn't love be arguing and wouldn't truth be saying, no, we got to go by the rules, the rules are the rules, you know, and uh, it's got to go and all that. Uh, but this is the Lord who is divine truth. I think what's going on there at the risk of making no sense, but I take that risk happily all the time, uh, is um, that the that human, the Lord, is receiving that divine love. You know, he's embodying that already as a teenager. He's reaching out and interceding for the human race. And what does intercede mean? We'll read some passages later about interceding. But interceding, catere, uh, dear reader, you're a Latinist. Well, what would you say is the Latin root, just to put you on the spot? What would catere, queso, that sort of, you know, what, what is that? What's just means like to go. Just to go. And so inter is what would you say? We didn't to, rehearse this, honestly. To friends. go between. Between. So an intercessor is literally a go-between. It's someone who, okay, so you're having a problem with somebody. It's like if you're in school and you're having a problem with a principal, you get someone else to go talk to them for, you know, it's a go-between. It's someone who will speak on your behalf. So that's what the intercessor idea is. So it's neat, the idea that even as a young person, Jesus was already saying, I'm worried about the Sodom and Gomorrah that's going on in the human race. And uh, how far can we take this salvation down? What, what do you need as a minimum requirement for salvation? We'll talk about the meaning of that in a little bit. So I find that kind of amazing that the truth side is actually making the love argument. And of course, the love always just says, of course. You know what I mean? And so that struck me when Abraham says, um, you know, it wouldn't be like you. You know, it wouldn't be like, like he's trying to embody that divine love. Like divine love would, it wouldn't just throw the place out for, for 50 or, or 40 or whatever. It wouldn't be like you. So he's becoming the embodiment of that divine love in the world, even when he's just a, a teenager, from that divine soul that he has inside. All right, and now let's get into the numbers, because I think the numbers are so awesome. I don't think I can demonstrate to you what they mean, but hopefully if something clicks or makes some sense in your mind. The other great thing that Swedenborg says, I don't know, I could live a million years and never think this, um, <clears throat> is that... The whole city is one person. That's why it doesn't go all the way down to one. The whole city, with the righteous and the wicked and everybody all together, that's all one person. Uh, it's so mind-boggling. It, it makes sense of some of what's going on here. So what it's really talking about is how much righteousness does one person have to have within them to be salvable What's the requirement? How, how low can we go? And that's why it doesn't go below 10. Is, as I'll describe in a minute, the 10 is really, 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 really minimal. You know, uh, but, but that's still salvable. And the Lord is sort of lowering the salvation bar, if you will. You know, he's, he's reducing the requirements uh, to get in. Even the 50 is low when you hear what, the, what that means. Okay, so here we go. All right. So 50, what about 50? 50 means, 50 is still a small number in the way that it's interpreted, but 50 means that you have, it's all about truth and love, you know, truth and compassion or whatever. If you have 
even just two or three truths, but those things are full of love, because truth is a vessel for love. If you have just two or three truths, but they're full of love, that's enough to save you, because you've got truth and love. Those things have to go together. So the 50 is like, what if I only have you know, two or three truths, but, I've, but they have love in them? That's enough. And the Lord says, yes, I can save someone from that situation of, of having that. So you have some truths and you have love in them. A 45 means that you have some truths, but they're not entirely full of love yet. What if you have some truth, even if it's only one or two truths, and you have some love, but it's not full? And what the Lord is saying, that too, I can save. I can work with that. Well, the 40, as you may know from various different stories in Scripture, uh, has to do with temptations. You know what those are? Like trials or spiritual crises that you go through. Uh, the, the tra- what, what if you've... See, maybe I'll have to tell us in reverse order when we get down there. But 40 means have you been through... Uh, if you've been through temptations, even if you don't have truth and love working together, but you've been through some temptations, yes, I can, I can work with that. And then the next, the 30 question is, well, how about if you're not done going through temptations, but you've been through a little bit of combat? <laughs> and the Lord says, yes, I can work with just a little bit of combat. Uh, where some of these interpretations come from is the fact that you had to be 30 years old to fight in the army back then. So it's like you're just getting started with with the fighting thing, you know, fighting against the evil thing. But if you've done just a little bit of fighting, can you still be saved? Even, think about it, friends. Even if the whole rest of your metropolis is nothing but Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, if you've been through a little bit of fighting, oh, oh, I'm going to resist that evil once or twice. Oh, oh, I, oh. Okay, that's enough. I can save you. Good. You're in. Well, number 20 is, what if you are somewhere, through no fault of your own, where you have no access to truth at all? Because you have to have truth to be able to get into combat, uh, temptations and battles and fight. What if you don't even have access to the truth? What if you're just living a good life? That's what 20 means. You're just living a good life and you have no access to truth. And so you can't even get in the door. of You can't even start the combat because you don't have the basic requirements. But you're living a good life. The Lord says, I can work with that. And 10 means, it has to do with remains. And it really just means, ever in your life, have you been touched by some innocence? Have you felt a holy feeling? Did you go through some anxiety or despair, and in that state you felt some compassion for other people? Anything. Work with me here. Anything. And the Lord says, yeah, you know, let's, let's work it from there. That's the Lord's 
intercession. So I tried to think of an analogy to try to make this a little more accessible because each of these is a prerequisite to the next. I think what the Lord is saying is that if you're a 10, I can take you to a 20. If you're a 20, I can take you to a 30. If you're a 30, I can take you to a 40. If you're 40, I can take you to 45. If you're 45, I can take you to 50. So, yes, I will take all of the above. I can work, I can work with you. If you have this at the center, doesn't matter how much crazy madness, ooh, I did a lot of bad things, you know, all this badness, all the wickedness, all, the whole place is like scheduled for destruction. But if you've had any of this, the Lord can reel you in from there. That little tiny, if it's only 10 in the town, that can still take over the town. The Lord can drive the evil to the, the edges and, and separate it and so on. So the analogy that came to mind is someone, let's say you're doing a job application situation. And so you realize, I mean, this is a pretty intense job. You absolutely have to have a college degree and five years of experience. You, know, you just, just have to. There's no point in trying to do the job. So you come in to get the job. And then you say, well, I don't have any experience, but I have finished college. Well, that's a 50. I, okay, you don't have experience. I can work with you. We can give you experience on the job or whatever. I, I can hire you in that situation. Then the next person comes through the door and interviews and says, well, I, did, I never finished college, but I started. Well, okay, I can train you. You know, I can give you the equivalent of what you would have learned in college. So, yes, I can take you as a 45. Then the person comes in and says, well, I finished high school. So you say, well, if you finished high school, then you could probably do college. So I'll, yes, I'll take you. And then the next person says, well, I started high school, but I didn't finish. It would be very merciful, wouldn't it, to say, you qualify because I think I can pull you from where you are. And then someone for the 20 says, oh, well, I lived somewhere where there wasn't a high school. No high school but I did go to some elementary school and said, yeah, that'll, that'll work. I think I can train you from there because you've had a little bit of education. And then someone else said, I live where there are no schools. But I went to my friend's house once and I heard the father telling them something about how you use these tools and I was really fascinated. It was great. Like I could have sat there all day. I just loved it. So that's it. That's what you're writing on your application. Like you went to someone's house for an hour and you heard an interesting lecture, you know, and you're looking for a job with a college degree and five years experience. But the fact that you felt that and the fact that that's so deep in your heart, it's at the center there. I can work with that. I mean, I'm just trying to say how amazing it is that the Lord, you know, even though you really do need the college degree and the five years experience. You know, you really do need that. But the Lord is such that even if there's like a glimmer, if you had some positive experiences that are stored up, even though the whole rest of your world was just Sodom and Gomorrah, he can, no, I can work with that. I can bring you in from here. I can, I can use that, if it's in the center, I can use that to push the evil to the periphery and out and down. Now, some people, uh, there's an interesting thing in Christianity where there's some rumors going around Christianity that the Lord would take a zero. 
You see what I'm saying? You know, like you could just, the, your entire life is nothing but wickedness and the Lord could still save you. Does this story support that? If you go to chapter 19, Sodom gets nuked. I mean, it doesn't turn out well for Sodom. You know, it doesn't seem like this story is supporting the idea that you could be a zero and still get there. The bar is super, super low, but that's why it's 10 and not zero or one or something like that, uh, because you need something, some sort of response to the Lord to be able to get there uh, from here. So the Lord can work with you, push all that stuff to the periphery and deal with it so that it's quiescent and all that and, and raise that up at the center. When you look at the story, what ends up happening in Genesis 19 is that Lot and his family leave and the rest of Sodom and Gomorrah get destroyed. And so, I don't know if I can put it into words, but there's a judgment there where, doesn't it say in the New Testament, uh, those who have, to those who have more will be given and they will have abundantly, but to those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away? When you look at Lot, he's got something and so he's taken out of the city, he's rescued, and all that evil and falsity goes away, you know, like he's rescued from that situation, even though he's a tremendous minority in, in the town. Um, but on the other hand, what happens to Sodom, the righteous are taken out of town, right? And it's hard to see. It's so easy for it to go into our lower self and the wrong ear and everything and to think that this is the angry God destroying, look at him, you know, he's wrecking the place and everything. Actually, there is a mercy in what happens here which is that uh, it is not good, it's not a comfortable situation to have 10 or 20 or 30 righteous people in a terrible place. It's not nice for the terrible people, it's not nice for the righteous people, it's not a long-term sustainable situation. So you want to get the, get the righteous out, let the evil be evil, and let, let it go down. But you, you rescue the righteous out of there first. A same kind of picture, if you remember the story of Moses and Pharaoh, right? He says, let my people go and all that, and there's all these plagues. And what ends up happening is that Pharaoh gets worse and worse and worse as Moses gets better and better and better until Moses is rescued and Pharaoh and all his men end up dead in the, in the Red Sea, right? Uh, it's the judgment of Pharaoh because he responded badly to the, you know what I mean? So Moses gets rescued, he's taken out of that situation. So it's a separation. It's a separation of one from the other. And so what we want to be, do we not? Good friends? I think we want to be at least a 10, right? Like a 10 or a 20 or something. You know, like, like get on the map. You know, like do, do something. If you have, have access to these things, try to go through a little combat or a little something or other uh, because the Lord can work from here and uh, rescue us from there. Uh, let's look at a few intercession passages just for the fun of it. Let's go to the middle of your Bible. And turn to the right, and we'll get to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is uh, uh, certainly sounds like there's a separate God and a separate Jesus or something. Um, but when you understand it's about that human and the divine and about the truth and the love, it makes a little more sense. But Isaiah 53, verse, let's read um, 11 and 12 there. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. 
By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Justify many. Not everyone, but he'll, just, he'll make many people righteous. Go on. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, mm. and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Yes, he made intercession for the transgressors. So you sort of see that in this story of like um, interceding for this, for this town. Um, oh, look at uh, what, oh, let's try Isaiah 59. 59, verse 16. This is about the Lord when he was in the world. Prediction from the Old Testament point of view. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. There was no intercessor. So when he came into the world, there was, no, there was no intercessor. Therefore, what did he do? Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, it sustained and That's him. right. So he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And, and that, that's what he was doing here. That's what the Lord was doing here. Turn to the right and go to Jeremiah chapter 7. That idea of intercession gets much misunderstood because if you think of two gods and one's interceding on behalf of the other, it automatically makes God the Father into kind of a monster, I think. Uh, but when you understand that it's that divine love being embodied in Jesus uh, and that he's mediating for us, it's another word, he's a go-between. Jeremiah 7, uh, verse 16. Mm. Therefore do not pray for this people, nor lift up a cry or prayer for them, nor make intercession to me, for I will not hear you. That's what the Lord says to the prophet. So it gives you some idea of what intercession means, that you're praying for people, you're crying out for them, you're trying to speak on their behalf to try to, try to save them and, and rescue them. Uh, and look at Jeremiah 27. All right, 27, 18. But if they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, let them now make intercession to the Lord of hosts, that the vessels which are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah, and at Jerusalem, do not go to Babylon. Yes, so that's like intervening or something, you know, like try to get it not to happen, you know, stop this from happening by making an intercession. Okay, and let's go into the New Testament, shall we? We go through the four Gospels and through the epistles. We're headed all the way back to 1 Timothy, which is shortly before you get to Hebrews there. 1 Timothy 2. Um, 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. Just trying to get a handle on what intercession means. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Okay. You see, so it's right in the same, so praying, uh, supplicating, you know, which is like begging the Lord, please, you know, whatever. These, these are intercessions. And that we make those for all people, you know, because that's the way the Lord does it. And turn to the right and go to Hebrews, which comes up pretty quickly there, to chapter 7. Uh, 
Um, again, you remember it said in Isaiah 53 that he would justify many. It didn't say all or something, but many. And in uh, Hebrews 7.25, this is about the Lord, about Jesus. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Yeah, so this is not a special deal. You know someone who knew someone, you get a favor or something like that. Uh, the, the Lord is always in that position of interceding for all of us all the time. And I like that word able. It didn't say that he did save everybody. It just says that he's able to save. And I particularly like what comes right after that. Doesn't it say to the uttermost? Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're talking about here with this 50, 45, 4. It's just to the uttermost. Just getting lowering the bar as far as possible. He's able to save to the uttermost those that come to God by him, seeing that he ever lives to make intercession for them. What this is talking about, again, it could go in the wrong ear and make you think, oh, there's a separate Jesus and there's a separate God, and Jesus intercedes for you with God just the way the saints would or Mary or somebody else. But uh, no, what it's talking about is that the Lord's human form, that human manifestation that he came into the world in, is accessible to us. That's why that is the gateway. You know, he's the way, the truth, and the life. You, you go to the Father through him. So in that sense, he makes the intercession for you because he makes the, he's the go-between. Literally, he came, Emmanuel means God with us. He came into this world to be that stepping stone, but, you know, to be that embodiment uh, so that you go to him and you're contacting the, the invisible, un- unknowable God who's behind him and, and within him kind of thing, if that makes sense. Um, so... Um, Let's see. So to me, I don't know whether I've conveyed it, but to me, there's such a sense of mercy in this. To think of the young Jesus looking out at the human race. Wasn't it interesting in that story where they have this whole visit and they're talking about Isaac and, and all that stuff, and then they need to go see Sodom. They got to go look at it. Part of what the Lord was doing in this world was to, not that he didn't know, you know, but to actually be born with hereditary evil in himself, to really get a close-up look, you know, at what was going on down here. All that evil, all that falsity. I'm not singling out any particular thing. I think it was all kinds of wickedness and lawlessness that that, uh, Sodom represents. And um, uh, that he came to look at all that. And rather than being horrified, uh, he wants to save as many as much as much as possible you know to rescue as much as possible and as many as people as many people as are in this he wants to rescue all of them can you imagine a situation where where it be the other way up like imagine a righteous community that had one wicked person in it can you imagine feeling like well no that's that's terrible we we want 100 percent. we don't want a wicked person you know isn't it so upside down for the Lord to be thinking of, well, do you have just a little bit that I can work with in here? Because hey, I don't care. Almost the whole thing is just nothing but wickedness. Uh, I can rescue you, but you got to work with me. That's what this says. That's what the 10 says to me. It's like you got to work a little bit. He's able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. But you got to do, you can't be a zero. 
Zero is unfortunately just going to be swallowed up by uh, lust and, and falsity meant by the fire and brimstone that comes down and destroys those cities. You know, it looks like God is sort of casting down all this at them, but actually it's something that comes on itself. That kind of wickedness punishes itself and draws itself down into hell. Uh, the Lord doesn't do that. Uh, but the Lord, the Lord came, like it's even kind of amazing, Lot, I don't know if you know the story, but Lot goes and lives in Sodom. He really likes the look of that whole valley, and he goes and, he goes and li- lives right there. That's where he moves in. Well, to me, that's a picture of the Lord coming into this world and just saying, oh, where's the worst neighborhood, you know? Because he wants to go to where it's needed, you know? And he wants to go, he wants to go look at it. You know, he wants to go see it. And he's crying out, this young Jesus crying out to that divine soul that at that point he perceives as something separate from himself, just saying, Lord, what about, they don't need to be in the church organization or something. You know, if they haven't had any access to truth, I'll still take them at a 20 if they're being a decent person. We can work with that. I can teach them truth. We can bring them along from a 20. I'll teach them truth. They'll learn all about that. Then they can go through combat. Good, they'll have some truth. And then they'll have their good and truth joined together. And then they'll end up at a, at a 50 or more. Uh, so I can bring them from there. Let's, we're here to save everybody, the entire human race. And I want to crank the bar down, the Lord says. You know, even if it's to the point where something touched your heart a few times and you really felt that, but you treasure that memory, even if everything else is just chaos around that. You know, if there's that little spark, Swedenborg reports being in the spiritual world and seeing people who he honestly felt like there's no way. (laughs) This person is a write-off, you know. (laughs) There's no way, you know. I know how they live their life. He saw all these hundreds of thousands of people he had known in this world. I I know this person. (laughs) Like, forget it, you know. You know. Are you kidding? A whole life of dissipation, insanity, or whatever? No, you're never going to do it. And he said, it's amazing. A little spark in there, and the angels bring it out, and they're lifted up, and they're speaking all this wisdom and everything. You know, like he said, you know, part of what the, the writings say in discussing this story is that we, we can't judge. You may look at somebody else and see nothing but Sodom and Gomorrah all the way, you know what I mean? But you don't know if there's just a few people in the heart of that kingdom, you know, that the Lord is sustaining and keeping them in that state. And that's a salvable situation because it's amazing. In fact, the weird thing is, I don't understand. I can't defend it. I don't understand it. But the angels actually love working with people like that. I don't understand it. What are they thinking? But they actually enjoy it. They enjoy taking it. Oh, this is a 10. You know, like, this will be great. You know, I love working with a big, big, you know, high maintenance, you know, problematic person that everybody else has given up on. This is fun. They love nothing more than to bring people into heaven. You know, and to get that just like, oh, yeah, I know it's a little messy around there. Let's concentrate on this little nice little bit at the beginning, a little purple bit at the middle here where there's a little bit of good, a little bit of truth, you know, and let's fan the flames of that and build that up. And I can show you how to deal with the rest of that stuff. The Lord will teach us how to, how to deal with that.
dial that down so that's not troubling you anymore. It's amazing. So that's what I focus on, and it's amazing even the juxtaposition of that story, that that story is right there next to one of the most horrifying chapters in Scripture, you know, of this sort of threatened rape, awful, you know what I mean? It's just violent and awful and lawless and everything. And, and uh, this mercy is sitting right there. It's right like the Lord just wants to go as close as he can to that situation to try to rescue everybody that he possibly can. So as long as we can get, you know, when they were talking about, sorry for this bizarre analogy, friends, but when they were talking about the Higgs boson, you know, that little particle and everything like that, they realized the only way the universe could have come about is if the Higgs boson had a non-zero value. You know, it had to be something other than zero. And if a Higgs boson had a non-zero value, then uh, you could have gravity, you could have, you know, everything, you could have mass, everything would happen. But they posited this particle that had a non-zero value. I just love that. They didn't know what its value was. And they finally did find this particle and everything. They called it the God particle because, you know, every, everything in creation sort of depended on this. Well, friends, we need to be a non-zero value. Just go for non-zero, okay? <laughs> because if you're on the map at all, the Lord can pull you in. He can create you, you know? He can create you if you're on the map at all. It's amazing to think that people still manage to go to hell. Uh, it's pretty amazing. You really got to put your heart into it, as you've heard me say before. But, uh, you know, it's amazing because the bar is so low, you know. But there are still, unfortunately, you know, I mean, didn't work out well for Sodom and Gomorrah. And there, and there are people uh, who really just feel like, no, I'm all about the evil. And the astonishing thing, it's so hard to grasp, uh, but the fact that there's still mercy in that condemnation, it's, it's hard to see, but there's mercy in it. Because if you have the two together, they destroy each other. So the Lord would rather have you just be evil all your life through and through and through. That's a better scenario in some ways. If you've got good in the center, good. He can work with that and pull it, pull it. But you will need to be one or the other. At some, you know, you'll need to be primarily... Uh, that evil never goes away, but it, but it falls down at the outside of it. You know, it becomes peripheral and quiet and, and doesn't, doesn't disturb you anymore, except maybe occasionally it rises up and you get a little humbling reminder or something. But uh, uh, the Lord can, can deal with all that. But if you're really about evil, it's better just to be straight evil than to be a profaner, you know, mixing these things together. You know, that's really worse than that. We'll, we'll talk about that some other time, and that'll be a horrible experience. But, um, the, uh, uh, but actually, there are things worse than hell. Like, there are things worse than being an evil person and going to hell. The Lord uh, takes care of people to eternity. He loves them, tries to make their life, you know, tries to ameliorate their life and have them be in as comfortable a situation as you possibly can. The divine love never stops with any of us, ever. But... We can have a much better outcome if we can achieve a Higgs boson-like non-zero value. You know, that's what we're that's what we're going for, friends. If we can get anywhere on the map, the Lord can uh, reel it in from there. So, in conclusion, good friends, if we move even ever so slightly in the Lord's direction, He will work with us, and He can give us his salvation.
Thank you. Let's close with a prayer, shall we? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you are the one God of heaven, the one God of earth. You bowed the heavens and came down into this world, and you embodied that mercy, that love, so powerful to hear truth talking with such love and representing that divine love in this world, that desire above all else to save the entire human race forever, to extend the benefit as far as possible, if there's any reciprocation whatsoever, to work with people and to bring them along from wherever they are into your salvation, Lord. We marvel at your mercy and your compassion, and we thank you, and we pray for your help as we try to elevate our number. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends. We'll get that number up.